Hello and welcome to another episode. My name is Ross. And I'm Greg. And it's time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. So, should we get to the news? Let's, let's, let's do some news. Let's do some news. Mm, mm. Um, What's the news this week? Well, um, in light of our... Um, we were talking last week about earth shots and mm. basically lots and lots of trees is, in my opinion, clearly the, the, the easiest answer to this solution. So, just on, on the topic of trees, uh, businesses including Barclays Bank, uh, HSBC, and Frontier Airlines have joined the Priceless Planet Coalition, which is an initiative set up by MasterCard to reforest more than 100 million trees. Um, and okay. similarly, uh, the Woodland Trust um, mm -hmm. has this week unveiled a new ambition for planting 50 million trees in the UK over the next five years. Um, it planted 4 million trees in 2019. So like a 12x intention this year is it this year or is it this year i don't know so there's 50 million in one year obvious yeah so yeah so 10 million a year they've done did formally last year that should be doing 10 million a year thereafter cool so that'll help won't it uh, i mean yeah that sounds a good shot from the woodland trust bit of a in your face to mastercard who are only going to plant twice as many trees with massive partners uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so he said, a year on from many big promises and statements about the need for more trees in order to achieve carbon net zero by 2050, they mainly remain just that. Words. Hmm. Says the guy who's just announced some more words. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, he must mean them. I mean, he has about four million trees out there. This is the Woodland guy, that, yeah? That is true, yeah, yeah, that is true. That's uh, Darren Moorcroft uh, from the Woodland Trust. Good job, Darren. Made um, many trees. I feel like um, um, Stereophonics should really re-release that song but change some lyrics. Um, stop talking about burning them down. Um, right, also, Shop Appy. Are you familiar with this app? I'm not. I can't say I am either, really, but um, it's launching in Somerset, which is why I'm mentioning it, because that's where I live. Um, although be it's not actually technically in my part of uh in somerset west and taunton council whereas i'm in south somerset um but basically the shops will be given this app free of charge for 12 months um mm. but it's basically sort of trying to encourage local shopping i believe um so one of the quotes here says i'd like to think it gives our local economy another way to improve sales and attract more customers in the changing marketplace i hope local traders will sign up and residents across the district and beyond will support them. Um, so the idea is that the company, the businesses can register and they'll get a lot of like, they get a community officer, which doesn't sound good, but I think it means like a, you know, someone to help them um, to uh, help them load products uh, onto the system and to promote them. So that it could be um, not just for local produce. It could also be for hospitality and events um, and stuff like that. Um, uh, so, the service was set up, well, the website says 2916, I think it means 2016, um, by a Dr. Jackie Mulligan. Um, and she said that we are delighted to be partnering with Somerset, West and Taunton Council on the first launch of shopappy.com platform in the county. 
with our partnership with Visa, helping us provide support to more small businesses across the UK, we are certain that this will provide a real and tangible benefit to local businesses and the community. So I don't know much about Shopping Everything, but, um, and I actually can't use it because I'm not a local area, but it seems one to keep an eye on. Um, mm. Yeah. So mm. watch that space. And if you live in the area, definitely download it see what, and let us know what you think. Um, also in news, we have, um, just because I do like my old technology, I thought I would let you know about a new world first um, in the shipping world. This is a compressed hydrogen ship. Okay. Uh, I've got a picture which I can put on the thingy. There we go. Um, I do like doing that little cliff thing. Uh, <laughs> so basically, um, well, yeah, what it says basically, there's this, there's this wonderful, beautiful white and green looking ship. Um, and it's the idea is to develop compressed hydrogen um, for export and transport to customers demanding access to zero carbon energy. It will have, it'll be able to store 2,000 tons of compressed hydrogen. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's supposed to be clean burning fuel. So that's cool. Um, I got a few pieces of news as well, which is um, interesting tech pieces, but also some uh, uh, interesting pieces. So I'll start with a continuation of what we discussed last week with the drone port in Scotland. Oh, yeah. So these guys are also up to uh, creating unmanned boats, which will also carry those drones out to those wind turbines that uh, we're going to be building many, many more of. And the cool thing these unmanned boats are also going to do is clean the sea of plastic on the way out and on their way back. Oh, that's nice. How are they going to do that? Do you know? Uh, just literally collect it as they, as they go. So his job would be to service wind farms. And as they go around, imagine fleets of these things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's collecting plastic on its way, basically. I was so, going to add a plastic cleaning facility to my floating tree uh, moon shots, earth shots, earth shots. Yeah. Wasn't sure how it worked. So I, I left that a bit alone. Yeah. I mean, just, I don't know. Like a fishing net or something, maybe. I have no idea. Yeah. Not really sure exactly how they're doing it. But um, it's all AI driven. Uh, they're entirely autonomous. And the entire point of them is similar to the drones from the drone port, is doing um, low risk, but obviously eventually high risk maintenance on wind farms. And yeah, they expect a fleet 20, 30 of these boats. To spend months at sea, months. So solar power, perhaps, yeah. and completely service these farms while also cleaning uh, the areas of plastic rubbish. Good. Well, that's that's pretty cool. Just uh, setting up his drones. You go fix that. I'm just going to go collect a couple of tons of plastic. I'll see you later. <clears throat> you want me to get anything from the shops for you? No. Okay. Lovely. Yeah, uh, another one is, so this is from Airbus. So Airbus have developed a, an albatross, basically. A bird? So, 
basically, yeah, this is the first flapping wing aeroplane. Ooh. Based well, on that. based on the Albatross, and it's actually called the Albatross One. So right, we need. Have you got? We got a picture of that. Can I put video? I do. Can, can I do that? I do. Oh, yeah, yep, you can. There's there's a video of it flapping too. It's pretty mad. I, um, I I really wanted to make that myself. Like like if I had any if I had any understanding of what the hell I was talking about, I've always wanted to make a bird. Yeah, you've always talked about a wing suit, but uh, once you look at the the size of these wings, you, you can see, see the problem we discussed before. <laughs> that based on the weight, I mean the wings need to be enormous. But uh, but yeah, they've done it. Uh, they've done a successful uh, flight from gate to gate which is a um, successful demonstration of this ability that it works. The wingtips themselves are 75% longer than um, the first demoed test of this plane. I'm not sure if they're actually longer than normal planes. I assume they are. Maybe not 75%. <clears throat> but um, yeah, but this, this demo here proves that a flapping winged airplane does work. I mean, it has, has it wings. Like, <laughs> well, it doesn't, it doesn't suggest that inside is any different. It's just, it's, it's, it's more no, of... Thanks, I'm all right. No, it's all right. I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what, uh, so what albatrosses tend to do is what they're based on is they don't really flap that much. They glide. So they kind of like flap into the wind, down, up to the wind, that up stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So they spend a lot of time... Yeah, not flapping, more gliding, I suppose, but flap when they need to. So they can uh, surf through wind gusts. And the cool thing about this, what makes it quite sustainable, is that they do it on significantly less um, energy. Right, yeah. What than a As you, plane would. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I knew that anyway. That was obviously going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, it's a significant reduction in feral CO2. I mean, everything really. Um, so the main benefit they have is the uh, lift-induced drag. So that's kind of gone. Um, the problem is that they have bigger wings, so they've increased a bit of issue there. But they're trying to figure out exactly how to do it a bit better. But this is the first demonstration, and there's, there's lots more to come. Cool. So yeah, keep an eye on Airbus and Albatross 1. Uh, here's a fun one for you. So, based on the news we've already had about e-scooter trials in the UK. Oh, God, now what? Can you remember the two cities who launched them and quickly changed their mind? Do you remember them? Um, wait, I, was thinking, I feel like I want to say Bristol again. No. Was it Bristol? No. Um, was it up in, near London somewhere? Uh, North, North England. So the first one was Coventry. Uh, Coventry successfully launched a one-year trial and then promptly suspended it five days later after really? yeah. were, were driving through supermarkets and stuff. Yeah. Um, so the next city who's undertaking this, thinking, yeah, it's a great idea, is Liverpool. Right. So they've also launched a one-year trial, um, even though... And they've, just, they've done this despite, obviously, the obvious problems of the other trials. Uh, but they've done this with a different firm, a Swedish firm called Voy, or 
V-O-I, VOI. So okay. they're hoping to do it a bit differently because they have um, they've geofenced the area. So you can't go in certain places. It just turns off. Okay, yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. So I suppose when you enter, I don't know, enter some sort of supermarket, it turns off. I'm not sure how clever this is. Apparently, there already are loopholes that the geofencing takes 30 seconds. So people are already figured out that you can go in there, turn around, come back out, go back in again. And you've got 30 seconds before the thing reacts. I don't know. I mean, I mean, in Coventry, they were chasing old people. So this is just what happens. Like, we're in a lockdown situation. What else is there to do? Cow tipping and chasing old people on scooters, apparently. That's it. Yeah. So good luck, Liverpool. I hope to hear in uh, a little bit longer than five days, if it's lasted. <clears throat> if not, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. Uh, another piece of uh, good green news is, and we have discussed this too, is oh, researchers has oh, come no. out and basically there's something that will reduce your individual carbon footprint uh, up to 27 times more than stopping flying or going vegan. Uh, not, e head. not eating beans. No, good job. I'm not sure why beans would be anywhere near the top of that, but because um, of because of the methane, it comes at the other end. Was where I was going. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, thought, I didn't get. I, I, I didn't get that. <laughs> no, it's it's actually um, rethinking your pension into green investable funds. Oh, so moving your pension to renewables into green investments um, reduces the carbon footprint up twenty-seven times more than stopping flying or becoming vegan. So that's a nice little study there. So if you are considering doing one thing for the planet, that does seem to be the thing you should do. Well, I might, I'm hoping that I might be doing something along those lines in the next, let's say month. Um, so if I do do some of the stuff on that, I will have to do some research in order to work out where to put the money. So I will be sure to tell everyone else. I mean, Please do. I mean, the first step is you need to get a pension. That would be, yeah. <laughs> but as, as, as investments in general. So, yeah, if you can get some good uh, tips, I'm sure that'd be really good to help because, yeah, 27 times uh, your carbon footprint is a, is a good bang for buck. Okay. Um, another piece of news is Europe and... Yeah, Europe is creating what's called a Destination Earth Project, which is effectively a digital twin of Earth. So this is a realistic simulation of the entire planet. And they're looking to basically build as a digital twin in order to predict the future of climate change, extreme weather, and help model the environment. Well, okay, so we okay. So they're basically talking about modeling. But they're just yeah. going to make a more accurate one. Yeah. So we're going to start perhaps um, observing the real world and start doing this virtually in a digital world, which I think makes a lot of sense, perhaps. Surely you do that you already. Can... And that's what a model is. It surely is. I, I would have thought so, yeah. And they're just saying that they now think they can make a better one. Um, one that actually yeah, they, they can. I, I think so. I'm not I sure mean, about that, Craig. I'm not sure I'm buying it. Uh, well, you know, it's an EU thing. I'm cynical on that one. I don't think that if I, if they can make a better model, 
then I think they already would. But I think the problem is they don't know everything. That's that's the issue. That's why we get things wrong. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not sure if we have a realistic simulation to this degree. So think of like um, Sim City, but for the entire world. Yeah. Realistic, realistically, uh, I don't think we have that yet. Models do typically um, exist on a very short window of quantifiable information. Yeah, but um, like, how you know what we got powering this thing? Because surely we'd need some sort of supercomputer. I imagine you would, yeah. I think that's the plans. But it's Destination Earth Project, and they are looking to build this uh, within the coming months. So stay tuned for that too. And once done, they expect to give it to everyone. Um, it doesn't say for free, but it also doesn't say for cost. They're just saying they're just looking to give it to everyone from politicians, city planners, energy companies, reinsurance firms, etc., to be able to simulate in unprecedented detail how human and physical systems will change in a global warming world. All right, that sounds cool. Well, you yes. Yeah. Um, let's see how that gets on. But yeah, as, as you said, I imagine there's a lot of people doing this already, maybe behind closed doors. Um, that piece of news. Hollander have done something and nobody knew and nobody cares. The reason I'm talking about it is because, for that exact reason, that nobody even realized and nobody even cares. Oh. They've, they've stopped selling diesel cars in Britain. Oh, what, as a little test, was it? See whether we'd notice. Uh, no song or dance. They just stopped doing it. Yeah. That's it. You can't buy a diesel Honda anymore. N new ones, obviously, you can still get second hand. You so, wonder why they did that then? As in, I well, they're going all in on their new Honda E, I suppose. Yeah, but why? Why not take the opportunity to 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 say we're not doing this anymore? We're not going to do this anymore. Oh, I, oh, oh. Uh, no, we know the answer to that one already. We probably know the answer to that already. It's probably to do with um, uh, because there's not much difference between petrol and diesel in terms of the damage to the planet so if you if you start talking about how diesel's terrible we know petrol's mm. not that far behind then you they probably um would trash their sales of their petrol cars too yeah i suppose so because yeah they are still selling petrol cars and they um they do all things and mainly the electric cars so they are still selling petrol but yeah they've removed diesel powered cars yeah, but you know what I mean? If they, if they were to turn around and go, yeah, we're not doing any more diesel cars, it's horrific for the planet, we're not doing it anymore. Then people go, yeah, but is petrol that much better? Well, not really, but we're still selling them. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because we make tons of money, that's why, you idiot. We haven't finished building our Honda E yet. Yep, but I, I just like the fact that, uh, yeah, nobody cares and no one's really noticed, except obviously the news article. Yeah. Uh, and now all the people listening to us, so yes. basically, it's like nationwide now. Well, I mean, if you if you have a diesel-powered HRV crossover, whatever they are, I've never seen one of these things. You have one of those. They're now no longer available in the UK. Oh. Maybe you can get some money for it. Uh, last piece of news. <clears throat> uh, the UK is about to start something they promised they would do last year. The first tests of autonomous vehicles are they do you remember we discussed uh that's something we would be doing it this year i think we discussed this 
few months back actually about this is something we've looked to do this year. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is they're actually doing it. Um, yeah. Doing it? Uh, yes, they're using basically they got 24 kilometers of public roads and boroughs in uh, Greenwich where they're testing this right now. But the cool thing is they're using technology I didn't actually consider they would use. They're using 5G. Okay. So it's going to be a 5G powered, controlled, enabled, whatever, autonomous yeah. vehicle. Um, and this is the first UK test um, using completely driverless cars. They can use satellite and 5G technology. And it's part of a four year program, which has started now and will continue to prove the viability of this on British roads. It's um, supported by O2 and yeah. uh, the, the European Space Agency. All right. And currently there's two Renault Twizy. Twizy? Uh, yeah. Or Twiz- Twizio? Twizio? Is it going on the end? T-W-I-Z-Y. Twizy. Okay, Twizy. Yeah, fine. Well, they've got, they got two of those things. Um, basically, they converted them into... CAVs, chucked a LiDAR on it. <laughs> and this now is remote controllable and autonomous, yeah. uh, driving around the Hartwell campus and that 24 kilometers of road they have in Greenwich. Right. Okay. So I feel like I could have done a little bit easier. Just, you know, let the Model 3 do what it already can do rather than some. 5G enabled um, LiDAR system. I mean, what, what, is, a, what is a Renault Twizy? I, I, I've never heard of them. It's just a little tiny little, just a small box Smart of car. Renault car, yeah. <laughs> I just think the, uh, I know I'm a you know Tesla fanboy and all that sort of stuff, but just the idea that LiDAR is going to be the answer. I still don't know why. I still don't get why people still think that's the best way to do things. Yeah, probably because it's cheap. But it's not cheap. I thought LiDAR is very cheap these days. Well, compared to a camera. Yeah, but all the AI tech, they haven't got that, have they? Yeah, but it's easy it's, to li- LiDAR, like a, a connect. You still need the tech. You still need the AI tech to, to, the, to understand what the LiDAR can see. Well, I suppose that's, that's what it's going to take four years to develop. But one cool thing I've never heard Tesla do, which they're reporting to do, yep. um, or at least consider, is they are purposely going to factor in trees into root, uh, root calculations to basically drive past them and allow the trees to offset the carbon out of the cars. So they're going to factor in carbon capture as part of a root. And that will be the prime reason for that route over um, time, distance, and fuel efficiency. I found that quite interesting. Like if I go five minutes off the motorway here, I can go through a forest and offset my carbon. Does that actually make any sense? I don't know. I mean, How how does it not? Well, okay. So does the... does the tree need to be near the crap that comes out of your car in order for it to absorb it? 
if we're talking about the carbon element, then that's just in the atmosphere. Mm. Doesn't matter where you put it, does it? I don't know. How, how do trees capture carbon? How does that happen? I mean, does the carbon can go woof, straight up, or does it like I don't know, hang around for a while? That's what and I mean. The trees, the trees can like you know, hungry hippo that stuff. I don't know. I don't. I don't imagine that they are struggling to find carbon in the atmosphere. They're just breathing it in all the time, aren't they? And also, I have no idea. What about the, the, the it's the toxic stuff that comes out of there? I mean, it's better for humans if they drive in uh, near trees so that we don't have to breathe those toxins in because we're linking around. Maybe that's the angle. But to try and pretend it's a carbon capture thing, I don't know if that's true. I don't know whether that's actually going to make any difference. But well, carbon capture is what they're doing. Um, primarily, they're calculating these routes. They're trying to build up some sort of algorithm to determine um, last mile deliveries. So O2 purposely wants this technology and research uh, to help its retail partners. So, for example, you know, again, something delivered from Amazon that last mile to your house from the, the station to the depot. Yeah. It can be done in a carbon captured way. Yeah. Or they can use an electric car. Well, until that comes available. They are available. Just that they, use, they, use, they just use, it, it, use a Renault Twizy. Whatever that is. Yeah. So I suppose they, they're not expecting everyone to use those Twizzies or whatever. Like the, the things they're looking to help aren't electric cars. They're looking to help petrol cars. That research they can have there, the algorithms to decide carbon capture routes would be used for petrol cars and diesel uh, cars. Sounds dumb to me. Like, if it is it worth driving an extra two miles down a scenic route past some trees than it is to go straight there? Surely the least, the shortest distance is the better one. <clears throat> That's exactly the research they're doing. So I'm sure there's a lot of maths involved, and they'll find a model. Well, it works. Maybe only a mile of that greenway would be good. Or don't spend all the money on the, on the developers and all the research and just plant some trees. Mm. Yeah. Plant some trees and use a Model 3. Job done. Yeah, move on. Cool. Um, that's all my news. So what are we discussing today, Ross? Well, uh, I've gone in a slightly different direction today, Craig. I'll be honest with you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a different thing um, today. Well, so uh, I got the idea because I was um, looking up at the sky the other day because uh, a couple of weeks ago um, on October the 6th, uh, Mars, are you familiar with that planet? Um, yeah, vaguely. Yeah. Well, it's as, it was as close to the Earth as it is every 2.2 years. So every, every couple of years, the orbit sort of starts to sync up with us such that at one point mars is a matter of about 38 million miles away oh, okay um, so uh if you were to leave because there's a point uh, about every 2.2 years where the the orbits get a little bit close and then it's sort of distance apart again if you leave uh if you left in july of this year late july early august um, and you've got your little rocket ship. Um, then by the time you that this point happens, so if the, the two planets are sort of doing that past each other, then you've, you've sent up a little ship here, and by the time it gets to about here, 
then it's got not too far further to go. And um, they did do that. In fact, uh, the NASA sent off their own little spaceship. Uh, what was it called? It was called the Mars 2020 Perseverance Rover. Don't know if you heard about that. Um, it was launched on July 30th, I believe. And it should coincide with the red planet on the 18th of February, 2021. So uh, how, how quicker is it to get there? when you catch it at its closest point? Um, I don't know how much quicker it is. Uh, when it does go to the other side of the sun, I imagine that's quite far. Um, there, but it's, um, it only takes about nine months. Eight, nine months. I, I, feel like I feel like that's half the time. I'm sure I've heard before it takes uh, 18 months to get to Mars. Um, well, it's gonna, it's gonna depend on when you leave. Although I don't know why you would leave at any other point. Um, and it's going to depend on how, you know, how fast you go. Yeah, but you know. But no, it's only eight months. Because, um, well, we, we know that because they left in July and it's going to arrive in February. So it's that long. Um, so this particular mission, the rover um, that they've just sent off, is uh, it's another robotic explorer. They like the one we had before. It's a rover. It's designed to study rocks and geological processes. A bit like the Mars rover, really. It's not that much different, to be honest with you. It's probably got. I'm sure it's got. I'm sure it's got far more advanced technology on it. Much better science, but from a mm. layman's terms, it's basically doing the same thing. Um. Anyway, I mean, it's called. It's called Perseverance. Sorry to interrupt, but it's called Perseverance. I assume because the first two rovers have died on Mars, and this one isn't going to die. So but maybe it's it just got better, better, better caught in. I don't, did it die? The other ones uh, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't look that up in my research. I thought the thing was still sort of like still doing something. No, I thought they both, I thought they both died. I'm not sure how they died. Like, I don't know, like a sand clogged or something. But, I mean, I suppose that's why they call perseverance because uh, this guy's going to make it. Yeah. A bit like me with my topic. Back, back to it. Um, so Elon Musk has a slightly grander view um well grander objective i should say um starting with making a self-sustaining city on mars as he says preferably before world war three oh only preferably <laughs> I, I think i might rather preferably but um he's for world war three um we already know that uh we have a finite existence on our planet yeah. Um, because the sun will eventually engulf it. Uh, but we don't know exactly what, well, whether we're leaving the last that long or whether a meteor from space, a super volcano, a, a human virus, perhaps, I don't know, uh, or maybe just some moron with a nuclear football. Um, we don't know what, what might kill us off, but um, we know that it's finite. So uh, basically, he, he thinks that. Um, almost whatever, whatever it is, the objective should be to make ourselves multi-planetary, uh, essentially to give us yeah. a choice. Um, so arguably right now, we, we might conclude that we don't deserve to exist. <laughs> um, but if, if we can imagine that in 100 years from now, or 200 years from now, humans become a slightly wiser species, um, then Elon would like to give us the option of 
uh, existing indefinitely. Um, and from his perspective, he sees that as a future of us exploring the galaxy is an exciting future and mm. he does like a good reason to get out of bed in the morning. So that's, that's his one. Uh, and he thinks other people share that view. Um, so a self-sustaining city on Mars is the first objective. Uh, <clears throat> and by self-sustaining, it means that if for whatever reason, flight between Earth and Mars was to end, that humans on Mars would not shortly thereafter perish. So it has to be fully, fully self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. um, so in a Zoom podcast for the 2020 Mars Society event earlier this week, which is the other reason it's coming on today, um, Elon Musk was so he answered questions about SpaceX, um, the Starship, his tunnel making company, the Boring Company, and all things interplanetary. But when he was asked how people could help us get to Mars, he said his company was providing the way to get to Mars, but what they also need is the will. And what could really help is if everyone who thinks that this is an important thing to try and do were to try and make it part of what people are at least talking about, as he thinks we should be at least spending 1% of our time thinking about it. Yeah, good job. Which is why we are here today, Craig. We are here to talk about it, to try and make it part of the conversation. Now we are introverted people, but hopefully someone listening to us is slightly more extroverted than we are. And we'll maybe at uh, next gathering, maybe ask a question to someone. That's what Elon would like us to do. That is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, so let's start with some basics. What are the key dif differences between life on Earth versus life on Mars? Uh, so Mars is only half the size of Earth. Did you know that? I did, yeah. It's always referred to as like the sister planet, like it's the same sort of size, but it's, it's like, you know, it's like you, you, it's a younger sister. Mm. Um, so it's only, yeah, half the size, that's in terms of a trip around the equator, but in terms of mass, it's only about 10% of the mass. And those two factors work actually work against each other uh, in terms of gravity. Uh, but mm. the end result of that, of those two mixed together, is that the gravity on Mars would be about a third of what it is on Earth. Um, so in context, that would be like my weight going down to be equal to that of my six-year-old sons. Yeah, that's pretty mad. I didn't realize it was so massless. Mm. Is it hollow or something? Not sure that's the right term. Um, no, no, it's not hollow, but um, it, it, it has a... Because the planet is smaller, um, it, uh, you have, there's, a, there's a shorter distance between the core of the planet and you on the edge of the planet, on the edge of the crust. And I think that... I might be getting wrong, but I think that increases... So gravity is more effective the closer to the centre. So I think that increases it, but um, it's also to do with the size of the planet. Um, so because of that, that would, because it's smaller, it decreases it. And then you mix those two things together and you end up with about 36% or something of our um, equivalent weight. Okay. So, so you've got a, 
a young child, yeah, your weight would become that of your child's, basically. Yeah. So, um, what would that be like? Uh, firstly, day-to-day -day life would just feel very different to us in terms of in our bodies. Uh, the lower gravity means that ultimately we need less strength to you know, stand up um, and hold our own bodies up. So our muscles and bones would not be as needed. Um, they certainly wouldn't have evolved the way that they have if we lived on Mars in the first place. Um, and so I think it would just feel quite disorientating just day to day, a bit like, um, I think you, you would feel a bit like you were in a swimming pool, but without the restriction on movement, if you see what I mean. Mm. So it would just, it would just, you would just feel a bit weird every day. Um, although presumably one would just get used to it after a little while. Um, there would also be a less dense atmosphere, which is currently what makes the planet unbreathable to us. Um, it's affected quite heavily by solar winds uh, and it means there's less pressure. So things like water can, um, will boil away at low temperatures. Um, effectively, the planet cannot hold on to the atmosphere that we need. And this is why we would have to do something as drastic as maybe terraforming if we ever wanted to walk outside. Because essentially we need to create our own atmosphere in order to live there. Yeah. Now, a day in the life of a Martian versus Earth is actually quite similar in the sense that it's the same amount of time. Um, on Mars, you get an extra 45 minutes sleep every day. It's nice, isn't it? Mm. It's a benefit. Um, it's also the, the planet's also tilted like, like Earth is, so they also have seasons. Um, but the year is about equivalent to uh, a year and 10 months for us. So, you know, summer is a lot longer, but then also winter is a lot longer too. Um, but yeah, it does have, it does have a seasonal element to it. It just, it takes a lot longer to achieve. That's pretty cool. Well, that sort of stuff will feel, you know, normal. Um, hmm. But ultimately Mars is the very dusty and a very, very cold planet um and it averages at minus 46 degrees celsius but it's quite a large vary and that's the average so it does get hot in places but like the hottest the hottest hottest day on the equator on mars is the same as the hottest day that we get in the uk ever so it like that's the that's the top end, and then you know night times come and it's like minus fifty or whatever ridiculous temperature. So n not pleasant really temperature wise. Um, so as a few <clears throat> living on Mars, um, a prolonged stay on Mars would mean that you would probably die of radiation poisoning or cancer. But the temperature is so cold you would freeze to death. Uh, except you can't breathe because there's not enough oxygen, so that would probably kill you a bit quicker. And due to the low atmospheric pressure, as I mentioned, water would boil. So would your blood. Um, so you wouldn't even make it that long. I mean, yeah, we've all seen that film with uh, Arnie. He takes his, yeah. his, uh, his helmet off, and the eyes come out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that um, so. How would we, so given that we can't do any, we can't even step outside, how would we actually genuinely start a life on Mars? Um, so 
in the same way that you don't let a dog off a leash until you know it can safely come back, our first objective will actually be to make the fuel to return home. So their first objective would be to make a basically a methane plant. So there's water ice on the planet, apparently quite a lot of it. Um, so mix that with the very, very high, like over 90%, 95% of that um, concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. And you've got yourself uh, methane, which is um, from a chemical perspective is CH4. Um, and that's what they already use in their, in their um, rocket engines anyway. So, but yeah, basically if you can make the fuel there, then you don't need to worry about carrying it from here to there so that you can get back here. So that'd be probably the very first thing that we would do is build something to make make anything um, mm. so that we can reduce the weight and the cost uh, of getting there in the first place. So can you imagine I'd be on that, like, you know, the, the very, very first one, right? Chaps, it's not, hopefully it's not a one way flight, but if you can't make methane at the end, then it kind of is. So, yeah. Good luck. But I reckon that's, I mean, did, I reckon that's probably what they'll have to do. Yeah. I mean, the, the first flight, I don't imagine, will come back. Because whatever happens, you're there for two years? 2.2, 2, yeah. You could take at least nine months on the rocket. Um, when you get there, yeah. I don't know how long it take to build this thing. Another year, perhaps. So then you're coming up to the window again, where you can go back. Maybe with three, four months left. So then, then you go back. So whatever happens, it's going to be at least two, two, three years. Well, I guess if it takes, it takes eight months to get there. So you you leave about roughly four months before the the close orbit point to, to half the gap um so presumably on the you would do the opposite on the way back you would leave well no you do the same sorry but you'd leave for you'd also leave in july to get back so yeah i guess it would work out to be yeah you say so you yeah you, you'd, you'd have to take off at the same time as you did leave earth which was four months before the close point that happens every 2.2 years so you spend uh, eight months getting there, and then a year and a half on the planet, and then you could leave to try and come back. But I would imagine they will probably be committed to being there for two cycles, not one. So they would be very self-sustaining. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay, how are we gonna solve the food problem? Well, okay, let's go through, let's go through some, uh, so what do we need? We need food, we need water, we need shelter, we need clothing, and as it's Mars, we also need oxygen. Mm. Uh, final element on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Warmth. Nope. Shelter includes that. Um, we've got up, we're up it. Uh, Final no, element. That's in the peak. No, it was. No, that's the top one. No, it, it was. It was added to the bottom one. Um, food, auction, water, shelter. Yeah, the the missing one's Wi-Fi, of course. 
Oh, of course. Yeah, it was added as, I mean, a, as a fundamental need. <laughs> Did you, were you not aware of this? Wi-Fi. I, I wasn't. I, I heard that uh, internet connection became a human right, but I didn't realize it was part of. Uh, I, I think on the day that that happened, someone took the Hamas's hierarchy and went <laughs> Wi-Fi. <laughs> Either that, or they were complaining to BT at the time. They're trying to straight at that point. Um, so let's start with food. Um, so hydroponics could account for a percentage of our diet. Scientists um, say, well, there was a TED talk about this, um, and they said it would only be account for 20% of our diet, um, which I didn't really understand um, because in other research I've done on hydroponics, and we did cover vertical farming on episode one, if you remember. Um, uh, yeah, other, other places report you could probably, more like 80% of your diet could be purely done on hydroponics. Um, um, but the things that the things you're missing out on would be stuff like um, bread and stuff, which you probably could live without. So obviously yeah. very highly vegan diet. There's um, I don't know whether there's, there isn't as much done with um, root vegetables and hydroponics, but it, um, mm. it's doable. So I would think that with more advancement in that area that we could actually entirely live on hydroponics, but if not, yeah. If you did need to add more stuff, if protein was an issue or, or whatever, then um, the only other alternative would be to, uh, you know, take a few boxes of dried food with you, basically, which obviously wouldn't be very sustainable. So, um, no, that would be food. Um, so, uh, early settlers would need to would would benefit. Well, they would it'd be helpful if they were quite green fingered and patient um, to work out how to grow all the different variety of foods that we would need in order to live entirely off it. Um, at the very least, it would help if you've been living on a vegan diet <laughs> before you left. Um, otherwise you may feel the need to, you know, eat one of your fellow settlers. Um, Cause there'd be no other protein around. Wow. Well, they've already spent think... eight months, you know, as a, a, a vegan. So well, yeah, but you know, you might have had, you might have had um, pot noodles. Uh, effectively you know you might have had something on the ship but once that runs out you would need to then be completely vegan yeah and that's interesting I mean, stuff i think that you know actually you know prerequisites <laughs> list do you panic no okay do you get on well with others i do are you a vegan because if you're not you're screwed <laughs> Uh, really uh, taking... I suppose it's, are, are you a vegan or do you mind becoming one well yeah but like having experience of actually having done it because you know if you're you've got cravings or whatever you're probably not going to be a very nice person to be around are you? yeah I mean yeah I suppose these people would need to be weaned off everything like sugar everything yeah for like pro probably a good year before they even get on that uh, get on that shovel yeah so that's fun uh, next one is shelter. Um, so first off, early life on Mars will be a lot like life in the UK in March. <sighs> Stay in your bubble, don't go outside. Right. <laughs> um, okay. early, early arrivals will probably just mostly live on the ship, um, which bear in mind that you've already been on that ship for eight months with uh, them getting there in the first place. Um, you know, that's, a, that's an awful long time. And we haven't even had that eight months of COVID and um, the divorce rates have already gone through the roof. So 
I don't think we should underestimate how hard that might be. Um, there's some different views on what the accommodation would be uh, after, once he moved out of the ship, what the next accommodation would be. Um, a lot of illustrations use uh, illustrations of Mars sort of colonies or use domes, like these sort of plastic dome things, um, basically, which are effectively easily erected, pressurized, and that's the important part there, um, tents, because um, if it's not pressurized, it won't you know, work. Um, because that's what causes our blood to boil. Uh, other people have suggested making more traditional earth type structures using bricks made out of Martian soil, which you can basically stamp. Um, I think it's got a, quite a high iron content in the soil. So, um, with a bit of heat, it can be turned into a quite a sturdy brick. And because the gravity is lower, um, you should be able to build quite a useful structure out of that. Um, mm. And then others suggest out just sorry others suggest starting out using existing structures like underground caves and lava tubes. There's quite a lot of those, um, and really that's all you need in order to protect yourself from the solar radiation. Anyway, it's just some sort of thick-ish covering. So go underground, and does the pressure increase by going underground? Do you solve the pressure problem too? I don't believe you do. No, I think you'd still need to pressurized okay. tunnel i think it might might improve a little bit but probably not enough um so if you th th those are three very different if you can imagine you're now living on on mars you've got one version where you live on the ship so now you're thinking star trek or pick your favorite sci-fi basically um or you've got a world that looks like the mud bricks um of like ancient Egypt, uh, where the terrain and the houses all look the same color. Um, or like, uh, I'm trying to think there's that, there's that, um, is it, what's that, what's the planet called on, um, the Star Wars? Is it Tatooine? That sort of, you know, like it's like a sand place basically. <laughs> and all the houses are sort oh, of, okay. I can picturing that yeah. in like how it would look if you were building the house out of the the same stuff that you you know that is the ground is made of, um, or you've got a underground city and like the best illustration I have for that in my head was like um, Zion from the Matrix, yeah, big big open cave with you sort of building machines to help you breathe and machine machines to. Um, do whatever you need to do um and then you living up in these little houses at the top um I, those are three very apocalyptic style uh images in your head but they're very different also i i just quite like thinking about that as a, as, as a first one which one do you want to live in do you want to be star trek um egypt or um Zion? There's a first choice to make. Um, so anyway, I mean, I, I'd go, I'd go with Egypt if you could walk outside, but because you can't, that seems very depressing. Yeah, it, I mean, if you look at pictures of these old buildings in Egypt, I mean, they look pretty depressing by themselves. Yeah, so I, I did go to Tunisia on holiday once, and we went down to the Sahara Desert uh, to see the Berbers, so the people who actually live in the Sahara. And they live in little, like, little sand huts they've made from sand, stone and stuff. 
and very basic. Yeah. I mean, very basic. So. Not for any. Uh, no. I mean, if I could walk outside, like, I mean, they don't spend any time in there. They haven't got doors and windows, for example. I don't need them. It's so warm. But in Amaz, the opposite problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you might end up with a combination of uh, mostly the, the, the domes and the underground one. So, like, your, your, your sleep underground in homes that are built into the rock underneath the surface um but so that we don't all get depressed and go nuts we'll all have to go up into these pressurized domes on the surface so that we get sunlight see see underground caves i'm not too sure on because um one of the theories of there's no aliens on the surface of mars because they all live underground well i mean that's a whole different thing i mean yes that's that's where you'd be really (laughs) Yeah, and that's where the point where something really weird happens, and it you know takes over the you know like all like all the movies, and you know you all get picked off one by yeah. one. Yeah, can't work out what's going on. I like staying on the surface. Yeah, yeah. assuming it's not like massive sandworms or something. <laughs> this is a lava tube, isn't it? No, no, it's a wormhole. Yeah, why is it moving? The other wormhole. <laughs> um. Yeah. So we also need water. Uh, so actually, there's actually well, you always for ages we didn't know whether there's any water on Mars. It seemed like it's just desert land, but there's actually lots mm. of it. Uh, but yeah. it's, all, it's all in the form of water ice um, and large ice caps, um, especially near the poles. So we could just heat that up, um, and that would give us water. Uh, alternatively, there's plenty of water vapor in the air, um, which doesn't stay there because it gets blown away by the solar winds and stuff, but the, the vapor is there. So I think something like 60% or something. Um, water vapor in the air. So uh, you can just extract it, basically. By making it... Is it humid? Basically, yeah. You just build a very large dehumidifier. It's At some point, it's 100% humid. Oh, okay. So build a massive dehumidifier. Job done. Um, next up, we need clothing. Now, it's a bit of a weird one, but apparently due to the lack of pressure and gravity and stuff, we would probably need special clothes um, yeah. to sort of re to add pressure back to our bodies so that yeah. you know, we stay where we're supposed to. Um, so I, there was like a picture of one uh, of what it looked like. And it basically had like, it was a, a, quite a, a skin tight suit, but it had like sort of almost things like tied around it to sort of to pull it to pull it in a little bit to sort of hold you in. Basically, it was a very cool straight jacket, or like wearing a corset. Yeah, I see. Never wore a corset, but it looked a bit like the idea of you going <laughs> straps me in. Right, okay, I'm good. Is it all black as well? Like uh, no, oh, no, no, it was white with red lines and stuff. It was it was very cool looking. Yeah. No, it's just it's not it's not gimpy at all. Like no, no, it's much cooler than any clothes I've got. Um, and as I mentioned, because we are on Mars, the other issue we have is oxygen. Um, mm. CO two, obviously, has, is sixty six percent by definition oxygen. Um, so we can just extract it from the atmosphere. Um, again, with some sort of machine. Um. 
or as time progresses, we can um, use the CO2, the 96.95% CO2 to grow plants and then and trees. And then in return, do a bit of a deal. We'll give you some carbon dioxide that's already here. You give us some oxygen. Nice one. Um, but whatever the method, we will just be able to pump it into whatever structure we've built. And then I don't suppose once it's done, we would really notice any difference. Um, so basically, as long as you don't venture outside, life is wonderful. Hmm. I imagine it's, okay. it's probably going to be very similar to um, living or staying in a, in a hotel in Cuba um, or living next door to a Trump rally. It's all good. Just, just, just don't go out there and you'll be fine. Mm. Probably die. Um, and then finally Wi-Fi, which of course, as it's Elon Musk, we could just make another set of Starlink, Starlink satellites um, orbiting the earth and there won't be as needed as many of them because it's smaller. Um, yeah. But I'm already hearing the word monopoly screaming. So, um, but basically their idea of connecting us from earth to Mars is something orbiting earth, a satellite orbiting earth, satellite orbiting Mars, and then a laser that goes in between the two of them. Big freaking laser. Oh, no, 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 no idea. But that's how we're going to solve the Wi-Fi problem. So that's, we've already got a plan for that. That's all good. Um, but long term, obviously, these are all sort of, sh you know, at the first guys there. People are going to start us off. That's probably not going to be, well, it isn't going to be most of us. It's going to be, you know, highly, highly trained engineers and scientists. So seeing as this is about the will of the people, um, we need to think about what it will be for the second generation of people or third or fourth. Um, so in order to achieve anything that's remotely livable, we would need to terraform the planet. So one idea is to put like a, a massive mirror, basically a satellite mirror, which points at the ice cap and just reflects the sun's heat directly onto the, onto the ice cap. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that will be that will yeah that will release a whole bunch of presumably even more carbon dioxide I guess and other and other stuff I guess I guess yeah okay that's it so it might be ninety five percent carbon dioxide but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a high density because it is a as a low it's it's a low dense yeah not dense opposite of dense um, atmosphere so we need even though it might be ninety five percent carbon dioxide there's just not much of it so if we can release more then that's good. But yes, as you say, if you plant a ton of trees, um, then yeah, they're happy because they've got carbon dioxide and they'll release oxygen and then we're, we're, we're all good. Uh, they reckon it might take 20 years to do. Rub the caps. Or actually get the, get the mirror in place and everything as well. No, 20 years. Assuming the mirror's already in place and melting. Oh, right. Take 20 years to warm up the planet enough. That seems pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of that, it's very quick. Yeah, I thought you can say hundreds of years to actually do the job. I thought twenty years just to melt the bloody thing. The way, um, so melting it will release the atmosphere, which will create the the atmosphere, and then the then the once it's got an atmosphere around the planet, then it will obviously keep retain its heat, and then it will slowly warm up. So we might be able to melt the caps in a lot less time, but it will take 
I reckon 20 years before it creates enough of an atmosphere for us to, us to actually breed there. Right. It's, why haven't we started already? Well, because we haven't got there yet, have we? So, well, we can't get to Mars. Just, you know, why send rovers? Send mirrors. Send mirrors. They probably want to do a bit more research because, you know, it would be a shame to uh, mess, well, mess, mess up before we even get there. Oh, yeah. sorry, Mars. Oh, didn't we always <laughs> no. live under the. Didn't realize you guys were living there in that cave. Uh, sorry I killed you all. Yeah. By melting your caps. Yeah. You should have said something. Yeah. Why didn't you let us know? Did you not use WhatsApp? What the hell? Um, yeah, so, so kill the robots. Just talk to them. Yeah. So, um, and, yeah, so an early colony on Mars is probably... I, well, it's going to happen. And I reckon it'll happen in our lifetime. What do you think? Definitely. Um, so, uh, the questions that we want people to ask themselves is if you start thinking about, okay, well, let's now imagine that we've sent the scientists, they've started a terraforming process. They've built a couple of things for us to breathe on. We've now got a ship that goes every two and a bit years where you can get on it. Um, mm. uh, you know, do you want to get on? And if so, why? Like once you get there. You know, there's presumably someone's gonna, someone's gonna make a the first restaurant, the first bar, the first um, new know. life. Yeah, software business. I don't know. It's anything, frankly, it could be whatever. So, um, outdoor go karting. I mean, I don't know. It, it literally could be anything. Um, but we need people that would want to go and and do that. So, um, do you see that being you? Do you see it being your, your kids? Um, Grandkids, probably. How would, how would the planet even run? Like, what would, the, what would the government bit be? Would it be a democracy? Would it be no, red versus blue like we normally have? Is it, would it be a pie system? Or would it, you know, we would design a new one? And if so, who the hell is designing that? There are, well, there are questions. There are lots of things to solve. Uh, okay, so that's today's topic. Um, life on Mars. Uh, what I ask is that next time you go to a party or something, you raise these questions, you have a conversation with it to someone else about it. That is your act for the week. And um, other than that, think, educate and act. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye-bye.